Welcome to Access Nation, a podcast that is solely dedicated to the lift and access industry. Our mission is to keep you informed on the latest industry news and current events. I'm your host, Christy Mayfield, with Phil Duane, and this week we had an interesting interview with Tony Grote of IPATH. He's the North American Regional Manager. And what did you think about that interview, Phil? I think Tony knows this topic as well as anybody. We were just going to get a couple clips from him, and Tony and I, of course, I'm a talker too, and at, we talked for hours. And he knows this topic, and in, in, in Christy, will we have an hour's worth of oh, conversation? definitely, and all of it, very worthwhile material too. But we had to cut it down because... I, I mean, I want these to be about 30 minutes and guys can, can, can download them to their phone or they can play them while they're making sales calls or doing whatever they do. So we've condensed it and I think we've got the best parts of all this. I mean, we could have made really three podcasts out of this topic, but I think as things progress, we're going to have Tony on a lot more. Because he knows it, he's passionate about it, and he's excitable. Oh, and um, he knows so much about the industry and all of the new ANSI standards that are coming out in December. Yep, yeah, and we just want to keep everybody informed on these standards because I think that people do want some direction and clarity. Okay, change. Of course, everybody hates change. And so there's going to be some changes, but everybody take a deep breath. Everything's going to be just fine. I think if you if you pay attention to the interview I just had with Tony, you're going to feel reassured. Everything's going to be just fine. So without further ado, let's take a break, and then we're going to get on to the interview. First question for Tony I have, the IPATH breaks this down into a new design, a safe use, and a training standard. And I'm most intrigued by the training portion of this. And one of the first questions I had is, how many rental companies are going to take the training in-house and do all the training for the contractors? And what contractors are going to take initiative and are going to start performing some of these training standards that meet the requirement of IPATH? Well, I, I think a contractor, if he has a large enough uh, size company, can entertain taking on a training program themselves. Uh, but I would not recommend that they create one themselves. So if you're looking at organizations like IPATH have a, a training program, uh, you end up having JLG, Genie, Skyjack. So you have manufacturers who, through the standards, have a, a responsibility to provide training programs, training materials to assist people in being able to meet their responsibilities within the standard. So there are options that are out there. And the the, the secondary uh, approach is to uh, go to a resource to have your people trained. Uh, and when we're looking at operator training, you end up having rental companies are, are a large logical resource. And, uh, you know, with, within the scope of, of those, I would say you need to make sure that you are getting the training that you are required to be compliant with. Uh, the new standards are, are, are really different uh, in, in many respects, uh, whereas the prior standards, which are in effect at this moment, uh, have a training requirement within a standard. The significant difference 
uh, with the new standards is that you end up having a training standard that is referred to within a standard. So you need to provide training as specified in the safe use standard, and the training standard tells you how to deliver it. So it really talks about all aspects of what is. Let's say I'm going to take this training in-house and I'm going to start a great training program that's going to meet the IPAF standard. This, and I'm going to do the things that are, are going to help all the operators of the equipment. I mean, what's kind of, how do you recommend that all this goes down? I mean, just give me the whole gauntlet of how you think about this. To do that properly, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing all the things that both the safe use and training standard require. So, you know, to, to make sure that you're getting the training that you need. I, I, I always say that for the most part, most people take one swing at the bat. You know, if you're going to train them, train them properly. So, you know, don't go out there and get the, you know, uh, slap dashes, as uh, we used to say here in the New York uh, approach to it, where, hey, let's just get this thing over and done with as quick as we can. Quick as we can doesn't normally get you the results you want. We've been doing it for many years now. We end up having it reviewed and and developed by industry experts. Uh, We end up reviewing it every year uh, because we take all of the feedback from everyone who's been going through it. We we, we review our test. So example is if if everyone's uh, getting question five wrong, uh, it's either that our curriculum is wrong, our instructors are delivering it incorrectly, or the question is too vague to make it. So, so we learn from every aspect of it, review that, and that, that's really what an effective program is, is being able to change and update based on what your uh, results are. Uh, so, you know, the, the one thing that's different from the IPATH training program than every, every other program that's out there is we, as IPATH, we actually deliver no training. We, we are the administrator of the program. We review it. We audit it for compliance. So when someone trains on the IPATH course, they have to register the course with us. They uh, are, are then audited by us to make sure that they're delivering the uh, entire course in compliance with our program objectives. Because our measurement is operators receiving complete, consistent, compliant training as opposed to uh, the goal of producing. Well, you know, that kind of fulfills, like, my interest is this training portion, and that's why my questions were immediately out of the gate into training. But uh, on recent news, Tony was in San Diego last week, and uh, he won Person of the Year from the ALH uh, conference that was out in San Diego. And so I asked him about San Diego because – I know the ANSI standard was a part of the meetings, and uh, I just wanted some general feedback on how the meetings did go in uh, in San Diego. And, and ALH, Access Lift and Handlers, um, they, they report a lot of great things. And, and, you know, I follow their Twitter, and I pay attention to all their breaking news, and they, they do a great job. And I understand the conference was great. You know what? Uh, you know, one in 200 people at, at a regional event. The, the information is just superb. Yeah, I mean, you, you end up having, you know, presidents of the major manufacturers speaking. You end up having, you know, uh, industry experts from all fields uh, doing presentations and everything from the ANSI standards to values of, of equipment. 
uh, to uh, technology and how it's impacting us and, and where we're going with technology in, in, in our marketplace. All great stuff down uh, in San Diego for their meeting. And congratulations, Tony, for Person of the Year. Uh, I know you study the content hard as far as the IPAF uh, uh, regulations and things that we're going to be adopting here in the U.S. And let me just lead this into the next question that I have for Tony is, you know, the things we're doing gives us a more uniform worldwide standard on access equipment. And boom, scissors, guess what? Um, this is the stuff that people have been doing all over the world. We're just going to do it in North America. We're kind of behind the curve. And just relax. It's okay. D- you know, my next question, Tony, is the standard is is good from the point that we have some kind of boundaries and how the knowledge and these are the things that must take place. So so we should have, you know, a standardized approach. And, you know, and then when you get to the point where people are asking the question, well, uh, you know, who's the ANSI cop? Who's going to make us do this? I mean, you know, uh, ANSI standards, by definition, are voluntary consensus standards. You know, there is no uh, cop that's out there that's going to say, hey, well, you're not doing this unless OSHA. I like that piece from Tony. And ANSI kind of creates a standard and OSHA enforces the law. And, you know, which leads me into my next question with Tony is, Man, I got a lot of booms and scissors. Maybe I still have some debt on them. I got to pay them off. Are they going to be obsolete? I mean, what's this mean going forward to my existing rental fleet as far as what's going to happen to them? Is nobody going to want my older booms? And and his response was good in this. And, And I like it that we can all refer to this as we have new guidelines. We have new guidelines on how we make equipment. We have new guidelines on how we train it. But what what can happen to me? Well, First, uh, when you have this training, it applies to all equipment, old and new. So, uh, you, so you're not grandfathered in with the old equipment and the old standards because the old standards will be um, retired, uh, and uh, the new standards will, will, will uh, for safe use in training, will apply to every product in the marketplace. Uh, the one thing that will that that will be, uh, I'm going to say, grandfathered in is machines manufactured to the prior standards. So anything that's manufactured to the prior standards don't need to move forward uh, and and be changed to the new standards. Only thing manufactured as as of that date. But all equipment, you know, the, all the equipment that's out in the marketplace today, uh, the safe use and training requirements apply to those equally as they do to the new equipment. And I think what Tony's saying there is. The new design portion it comes with the standard. Okay, put that aside. Uh, all your old booms that you have, what is going to affect you is your safe use and training standards. So you're going to have to do the extra steps there, but the old booms are going to be fine. And I think when you when you do the training with safe use um, and, and the new training standard, it's going to make the, the operators more aware of what they can and can't do. Now, granted, the new machines tell you you got – your thousand pounds in the machine, dude, it won't do it. But at the same time, that training will help him plan and prepare. And, and it comes up later more in our conversation. But, you know, so how do we make the training more simpler is my question. Tony, and what are some of the alternatives that we could use that might make it simpler? And, and, and I don't say simpler, but because it's going to be more complex, but how can we make it more effective so that guys get that? Because I'll, I'll tell you right now, can't be done. But 
technology is going to help us. So one of the things that's out there is with that uh, training for the theory portion, which you need a qualified person on, can now be delivered through an online deliverable. So it's the same information over and over again, and you can uh, you know, put together a training course that can be taken online. And when they successfully complete that, then they come in only for the time that they need to be doing the hands-on training. And and Tony gives a great example with that because, you know, the class is a classroom work and guys can do it on their own time. And because of technology, you can see that the guy, okay, I have 30 minutes. So I got a two hours worth of classroom work to do. And so if I do it online, I can do 30 minutes tonight, 30 minutes tomorrow night, 30 minutes the next night. And I can complete the course and, and, and understand and pass the test that is required. And, and so the technology will help with that. Now, here we go to the next step would be, okay, what does this really mean? I mean, so now we have these, well, guess what? You got some badass operators on these machines now. And when you can operate machines effectively, you're more productive. And so he gives some examples of, okay, we're taking these steps, but we're making everybody. Definition enables one to become qualified. Because you took a course with anybody, doesn't by itself define you as being qualified. And the new standards make it the user, the employer's responsibility to qualify them before they authorize them. So anybody who, who's been doing this for a long period of time knows that if you go to a, uh, where the new classification is a 3A or a scissor lift course, and you go out there and you're going to be doing training. You're going to put them on a 19 or 20 foot scissor lift. You're going to have them on a hard concrete or macadam surface and the pristine conditions. And you're going to do the, the training and practical on it. The next day he goes out to the job site and he gets out on a, you know, 40 foot rough terrain on, on conditions that look nothing like that nice, you know, controlled environment that they had in training. Is that person who was just trained qualified to do that? And there's a question mark there, you know, and it's the same way that we train someone on a, you know, 40 foot or 60 foot boom lift. They're a trained operator on now that's a 3B category, self-propelled booms. And the next day, okay, we have a job that has a 185 foot, you know, self-propelled boom lift on it. Is that person qualified to get on it? He was just trained. And those examples kind of give you the, the sense that it's not just the training there's other elements that are involved with being qualified. And now we end up having the requirement for the user, the employer, to uh, assign an individual, a supervisor, who will monitor, supervise, and on an ongoing basis, evaluate them for proficiency. And so when you look at that, it's like, okay, here's this. Okay, you've been trained. Now let's make sure that you can do this. And, and I think Tony's saying more skilled operators uh, will make a better difference for um, the, the guys that actually operate the equipment. And, and then another piece I kept from him um, has an example with some load sensing and with the new training, um, what forces the guy to be uh, more educated in selecting the right equipment. That and it may impact the functionality of the machine. However, the critical part is the, op the, the, uh, the employer the guy who's selecting the right equipment, because now he has to do a risk assessment and know what the load is that's going to go into that platform. Because, you know, if they overload it when it's down on the ground, 
and the alarm's going to go off, and what do you do? Take the load out. Mm-hmm. What happens when I'm elevated and I'm taking down an air conditioning unit, and that thing weighs so much that now I'm overloading the platform? Do I reinstall it? Probably not something someone's going to do. So if you don't, you know, if you don't plan your job and have the right equipment with the right load capacity, that operator who's up there to operate and do his task, you know, isn't necessarily calculating all these things. And that's what his supervisor and, and his boss who select the equipment needs to know. What I need to make sure that this is what I plan on doing, the task, taking this air conditioner, that weighs so much my people weigh so much, the equipment they have over there weigh so much, and I need to have a piece of equipment that I'm going to select that will support that capacity, or I need to find a different way of doing that task. And um, moving on to the next question with Tony, with the load sensing standard that all the OEMs will be um, you know, making their product to, I like to, I asked Tony, I said, you know, but the market a lot of times will make improvements just as well as like a standard. And, you know, I, we went back to some old examples of, of with changes and, and maybe maybe the law required to do it. But then there's also things the OEM did on their own just because. The- and what was required in the existing standards is kind of a change. You know, it, it's, you know, you know, I think you've been around long enough to we had pothole protection and we didn't have pothole protection. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now now we're looking at having, you know, which is not a requirement, uh, you know, secondary guarding, you know, the anti-crushing devices. And now how that's becoming standard on, on equipment. That's not something that is even you know, necessarily required within the standards. But now you're going to see that becoming a standardized equipment. So sometimes the market drives some of these activities. And, you know, and you're going to have customers are going to say, I want one with that on it, even though it may not be required. Uh, those those things are going to those things are going to change. The real issue is going to be, what do we you know how do how do we as an industry you know uh, advocate those things? How how do we you know go out there and market those as an advantage? I know because in in my opinion, these standards are going to drive a, a much safer and and more productive uh, aerial industry. Great comments by Tony and this next piece that he put out is probably one of my favorites because it it relates us to other equipment and 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 maybe that we can do a better job with this operator training thing and it's really going to help the operators understand it differently because in just uh, people in the industry is that most times when you're looking at OSHA in terms of the requirement for operator training crane operator, forklift operator. And for the most part, a crane operator's job is being a crane operator. That's his job. Many times a forklift operator is, is to be an operator of a forklift. That's that's their job. An aerial lift operator is normally a tradesman who is operating a lift to go do his job. So the crane the crane operators lift that that's what he, I'm operating the crane all day and lifting loads. An aerial lift operator is a painter, an electrician, a plumber, you know, whatever the trade is to go do a task. And so they they don't think about it the same way. They don't understand all of the skills and knowledge for a operator with the OEMs adding cost and with low sensing, you spend more time and money in in all the other parts of the standard training or 
let's think about you know retirement of all this you know because there's a there is an upside to all this it's, you know it's not just safety and and i like these comments from tony and he kind of explains it that way to me talk to a service manager one day and you'll find out how great training is you know how you know the most simple thing that uh, someone went in and they plugged the 110 to the platform in rather than the battery charger. And the next day, how much productivity is lost because that machine is not charged and they can't operate it. Yeah. And so, so the, I mean, there's productivity that's in there. You know, have an incident on a job site. I, you know, I, I can't tell you how unproductive that is and how, how much that makes you look bad, you know, to your customers uh, you know, th that an incident occurs. But, you know, again, the productivity, you know, if, if I have somebody who, who can set the machine in the right place and and know how to maneuver it without doing any damage to property or, 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 or person uh, in that job site and gets the job done, amen. You know, that's what it's about because that really is what we're trying to do. It, it's not about, you know, exclusively safety, safety, safety. Because we know that productivity is critical. And I got to tell you that how many times when you get to the point where you have service calls going out or things that happen wrong, and, and they were 100% avoidable because they didn't know any better. Big thanks to Tony Grote. Man, I had a great time interviewing him. I want to do it again as, as, as we progress with the changes going on. It's just good to put some light into this. And... And be excited about it and be positive and hopefully everybody embraces the changes. But hey, thanks, Tony. I hope I, I queued up the right questions and did this thing right for everybody and everybody found something of it. So hey, thanks for tuning in to Access Nation. Please follow us on Twitter at Nation Access and LinkedIn. This podcast is purely based off of opinion and welcomes your feedback. This is not a substitute for an ANSI, CSA, or ISO compliant training by a qualified professional.